time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It's Monday, March 29th, 2021. Wrapping up this quarter. First quarter. What a quarter. Man, look at where interest rates are heading again today. Golly. Can't wait to get into that with Matt a little bit here. But it's good to have you joining the podcast. Really excited about the hot topic today. Talk about that in just a minute. But this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. So grateful to have you guys and all the feedback you give me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Text me if you want to get in on comments on today's podcast as uh, going to be talking about recruiting. We got coming in with us a good, he's like a new friend, although he's, I've been in his life and he's been in my life now for a little over a year. Tony Kaiko has become one of my dear, dear buds and he is knocking the cover off the ball for so many of my clients, finding him the best match for their company and top talent. We're going to get him some tips and tricks and learn what he's learned and why is it someone like him is so successful at it? Why some others really struggle with it? So we're going to ask Tony to come on and reveal some of his secrets, if he could. I think we just all need to find our way of being successful. And Tony's found his way. He's with Affinity 5 Search Group. And we're going to be listening to him and his comments about successful executive recruiting in the Hot Topic segment. So be sure to stay tuned all the way through to the end of the first part of the podcast to get in with us and the Hot Topic segment. Also, industrysyndicate.com. So pleased to be a part of that group. Check out at industrysyndicate.com all of the podcasts related to the mortgage industry, the real estate. Great resource there. So pleased to be a part of that. Also, we're saying a special thank you to our sponsors. Mortgage Bankers Association of America does a great job lead our industry, especially on the Hill with so many things to do with that and so much, so much more. Good news is they're going to actually have an in-person conference at the end of the year. Just saw Marsha Davies put that out. And uh, also there's going to be an Empire event there. And uh, I never miss these. I love the Empire events. Uh, see what they're doing, what Marsha and the team are doing to empower women. And really empower the whole industry in so many ways. So anyway, in San Diego, be sure to get signed up. That is going to sell out quickly. I'll be there with the podcast equipment and look forward to seeing many of you there. That's in October. It seems like forever. <laughs> the rate this year's going, it's going to be a blink and it's here. Also, a special thank you to Finastra. The Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution does a great job of helping you create an experience to really integrate your mortgage lending processes and simplifies it so the borrower has the experience that is streamlined. Check out the Finastra Mortgage Bot Solution. They do a great job. Thought leaders in the industry, third largest fintech company in the world, not to mention just how big they are. And they bring, so they're like, why do I want all the biggest? Well, you know what? They, when they're working in so many different venues, they bring in all these different aspects of success. So check out Finastra. And com. Also, go to our website, Look It On Lending, and under the sponsorship page, you'll learn more about them. Also, Lenders One, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these are co-ops. Now, a co-op is an opportunity for you as a lender or a vendor to get 
closer to your community. They're a small organization. These do not replace the MBA. Very important. Know that. But these will help you up also get up close and personal with your peer group and connect in a more meaningful way. Also, CMLA, Community Mortgage Lenders of America, does a great job. And they're not a co-op. It's an association. Also have a unique role in the industry. Also, we have Indicom as a sponsor. They partner with lenders and servicers and mortgage insurers and title insurance companies to achieve one specific goal and that's to help them grow. Be sure to listen to the interview I did with Linda Bomar and her associates on August 31st last year. Also, Accelerate. Josh Friend's got a great company, Accelerate. really helps lenders close more loans by radically changing how lenders communicate and engage with borrowers. Again, August 17th, we did an interview with Josh. There's so much information that's still getting downloaded by so many. Knowledge Scoop is a great tool. Ken Perry's a company that does a great job in helping people train, as well as mobility, mortgage, market intelligence. Ben Turlink and his company do a great job of connecting you with LOs as well as Modex. Modex is the same thing, similar thing, I would say. And in many spaces, they're helping you recruit. And they do a powerful technology that looks at empirical data on what people are actually done. I love what Dale Larson III and Dale Larson the Jr., the father-son team there, as well as Ben Turlink is in business with his dad. So it's a father-son team driving both of these companies. They do a great job. We use both of them in looking at data what's going on with various LOs and production groups. We use both of them. I recommend you consider doing so as well. Also, a special thank you goes out to Alice, Allen, Matt, for their contributions each and every week. So let's get over to hear what Rob Van Rapport of the NBA has for us with today's Mortgage Minute. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapport. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, CFPB released its annual report to Congress summarizing the consumer complaint data received in 2020. As expected, the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to a 54% increase in overall consumer complaints to the CFPB across all product and and service types. However, the mortgage banking industry's performance through the pandemic was exemplary, with mortgage-related complaints increasing only 7.5% and mortgage servicing complaints actually declining 3.5% compared to 2019. Also last week, HUD announced that that the FHA temporary allowance of endorsement of loans in forbearance will not be renewed and will expire on March 31, 2021. HUD cited limited usage of the policy in its decision not to grant further extensions. A similar policy allowing purchases of loans and forbearance by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac was sunset by the FHFA on December 31, 2020. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, good job, Rob. Appreciate you and appreciate the MBA, all that they do there. Les Parker is here today with his TM Spotlight and this week's Macro View of the Markets. What you got, Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Thunder, feel the blunder, leading to the thunder. The ever-given blunder in the Suez led to lightning moves in oil and disrupted the recovery in the global supply chain. Initially, rates fell, but as the stuck boat blocked over 200 ships and delays continued, rates rose. If the next high tide frees the freighter, then expect a drop in rates as bonds focus on the increasingly gloomy U.S. GDP two-year forecast. 
they see economic activity in the first half of 2021, then steadily declining until 2023, when GDP returns to an anemic sub-3% growth. Expect volatile moves in the mortgage rates under Biden's shaky leadership leading to the thunder. These views are my own. Want more? Go to TMSpotlight.com. Yeah, yeah, that's both. Uh, It's Ever Given, which is owned by Evergreen, stuck in the Suez and really mucked it up there. There's a lot more to that story that I think that'll unfold as we get more into that. But yeah, my wife just sent me a text saying they got it free. Some are saying that's not accurate. Hopefully it is because it sure mucked up that and that's a big shipping lane. And it just really goes to one point. How precarious our whole economy is on certain things. We got this narrow channel that goes from the Red Sea up to the Mediterranean that cuts something like 9,000 nautical miles out of a shipping journey and saves you know, gazillions of dollars. And how that one ship getting caught in a sandstorm, high winds, and some other malfunctions, which they haven't yet determined, blocks it and how that can mess with the whole world economy. Pretty interesting how precarious we are, which is why we need a service such as Matt Graham offers today. And for a while, and I love the service. So you're not stuck, thankfully. And it doesn't look like Les's prediction that, well, maybe not the word hasn't gotten out yet that the ship is free because I'm looking at what's going on in the 10-year, my friend, and it's a mess. Yeah, yeah. I think we saw a reaction in oil, but uh, bonds ended up going the other way. And, you know, to Les's credit, it's a an input, right? And that yeah. input is going to have its effect, but there are other bigger inputs this morning, particularly. And the weird thing is, you know, you don't normally think about bonds and rates in terms of the stock market, the 9.30 a.m. NYSE opening bell type of thing. But a lot of times we do see pretty big moves right at 9.30 because, you know, A, markets are interconnected Mm -hmm. and there are uh, vastly more ETFs that include bond components that start trading at 9.30 a.m., and uh, as those get fired up for the day, it can create big trading needs in those, as well as just simple asset allocation stuff, especially at the end of the month, especially at the end of a quarter. And uh, March has been a, an interesting month and quarter for those sorts of compulsory behind-the-scenes trades, which I think we talked about last time. But yeah, you know, we're adding uh, we're adding global satellite boat tracking to MBS Live now. You know, just to try to stay current with the time. <laughs> There's yeah. another new screen coming on. That's hilarious. Exactly. I was watching some exactly. videos, but there are videos out there that track where every boat is out there, and it shows you where our yeah. warships are, and it shows you where our uh, the shipping lanes are. How much? I mean, it was insightful. Called our attention to uh, just how many boats are out there. It was pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, but, yeah. It's interesting. You can you can even uh, key in a certain code to your electronics so that any other boat that's on the water can see where you are at any given time. And that's amazing. Uh, there are a lot more a lot more boats out there than people realize. But, yeah, yeah. The Suez is interesting. I had a friend uh, come through the Suez Canal after buying a boat on the East Coast, and he said it was like one of the craziest experiences of his life. Sounded oh, really? Yeah. His yeah. wasn't quite wide enough to block the whole thing. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. There may be some out there. But another thing, I'm looking at yeah. Fed Waller saying that central bank isn't keeping rates low for financing government debt. But you got some great stuff. I love your news live news stream on here, but we could talk about this. But tell us what's going on. What are we going to hear this week? Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, real quick, getting caught up with last week. First, I'll do a quick rundown of the data. Markets aren't super tuned into the data right now, but uh, some of it is interesting nonetheless. Existing home sales on Monday, a little bit weaker than expected, still very high relatively and a lot higher than people thought they'd be right now. 6.22 million versus 6.5 forecast. Next day, new sales fell 18.2% and they were expected to fall 6.5. So a bit more of a contraction than normal. People were talking about the weather. People were talking about the fact that new home sales, a historically volatile report and prone to revisions. So we'll see what changes there in the next revision. Um, case in point, the next morning, MBA purchase applications rose you know, by a moderate amount, but nonetheless higher. So indicating that uh, you know the purchase market definitely isn't dead. And the refi volume ticked down about as much as you'd expect given the recent rise in rates, but it's still at pretty decent levels. Durable goods, big miss, minus 1.1 versus a forecast of 0.08, or uh, 0.8 rather, and really no reaction in the bond market. In fact, bonds started selling off after that, which was notable because you'd normally expect bonds right. to improve after a weaker durable goods report. That was our first clue that the week might be uh, moving in a direction we didn't necessarily love because at the beginning of the week, there were high hopes that we were seeing a consolidation after what has been a fairly rapid rate spike, historically large, not the biggest we've ever seen, but in a league of very big sell-offs. And to see bonds moving higher in yield after weaker economic data is a little bit spooky when you're looking for that sort of correction. Now, it was an auction cycle week, meaning Treasury had their scheduled note auctions, last week being two, five, and seven-year. Wednesday was a five-year auction. That's generally the biggest ticket of the week in terms of that auction cycle. And uh, it's not uncommon for investors to build in what's called a concession, simply meaning they're pushing prices lower in order to facilitate easier bidding at the auction process or prices are falling because they're planning on buying later in the day, and so they're not buying in the morning. Either way, uh, that five-year could have been a, or that five-year auction could have been the reason for a little bit of weakness on Wednesday. And uh, yields began to rise, or actually, I'm sorry, yields fell after the five-year auction because it was a fairly decent auction. So yields were rising in the morning, falling in the afternoon. The next day, though, seven-year treasury auction, which hasn't ever really been a huge market mover other than the very the most recent one. Yet right. again, for the second month in a row, really, really horrible seven-year auction. This one was not nearly as bad as the last one, but bad enough to push yields higher. And then it has just been an uptrend since then, carried through Friday, carried through the beginning of the week, and really reinforced that it's not going to be an easy or fast process for rates to correct and go back where they came from. And uh, what we were looking for from a technical standpoint was a break below 1.62 in terms of 10-year yields. We accomplished that on uh, Wednesday and needed confirmation on Thursday. Confirmation 
can vary depending on who you ask, but I like to see uh, yields hold below a technical level for at least uh, two consecutive days, and they were not able to do that on Thursday. So now back around 1.7, more weakness this morning, not data-driven. In fact, we don't even have any relevant economic data yet this week. That will start tomorrow. Uh, we have home prices, not a big market mover, but interesting to the housing and mortgage market, expected up more than 10% yet again, year over year. Consumer confidence expected up big, 96.9 versus 91.3 previously. That Wednesday's biggest ticket would be Chicago PMI, seen coming in at 60.7. And keep in mind, Dave, when we're talking about these PMI reports, uh, right. listeners should know that, generally speaking, the PMI stuff is all based around an index value of 50 to 52 being sort of economically neutral. And anything okay. higher than 52, because you'd subtract out two points for average inflation, I guess, um, speaks to economic expansion. And so Chicago PMI coming in at 60.7 would be a very healthy pace of expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thursday, jobless claims seen down at 680 versus a 684 previously. And that was pretty close to where it came in last week for that matter. Uh, ISM manufacturing. Hey, speaking of the manufacturing PMI, also yeah. seen at 61.3. So balmy manufacturing growth and um, construction spending seen down a little bit after rising last month, not a big market mover. Then Friday, the biggie, NFP, the big jobs report. They are forecasting a substantial increase up to 639,000 new jobs from 379 last time. So that would be a big increase, but it is actually even more interesting by the time you look at the average work week, which is yeah. coming in at 34.7 hours a week. Now, that doesn't sound like a big number for those of us that work 60 hours a week or, you know, plus or minus 10 hours. But the work week tends to average 34.5 hours over the past decade, give or take. Yeah. So big increases in that are, you know, a 0.1 hour increase is notable. So being up at 34.7 would be like an extra 100,000 jobs added to the economy if we were still at 4.5 hours. So if the work week does tick up, it just is going to speak to extra pent up slack in the labor market, more potential jobs coming back into the market when people are better able to return to work. Um, it, it really tells us if that thing does go up to 34.7 and jobs increase, it really tells us that employers are looking for more people to come back to work. And those people may be waiting in the wings to come back to work when their kids get back in school or when they're feeling uh, you know, more confident about COVID, or whether that means vaccinations or whatnot. Either way, it, it uh, suggests, hey, maybe the labor market recovery could be a little bit better than some of the economic bears expect it to be. And last but not least, as part of that jobs report, economists are seeing unemployment rate falling to 6.0 from 6.2. So if all of these things coincide on Friday, I think we could see the first instance of a jobs report really having a, a meaningful impact on the bond market, although that has not been the trend uh, recently. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it, pu putting potential upward pressure on everything. Good. You got it. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, that's not what we want. Um, not although, what we want. 
but you know the companies that focus on the purchase volume, you know, their their business, the pipelines are still doing well. I mean, we got great stuff. We got housing issues, housing supply issues. That's a whole nother we need, thing. We need some inventory. That's for sure. We definitely need some inventory. You did such a good job. I love your screen, and I love the fact that you give our listeners the LOL code, liquid on lending code. You double the free trial without a credit card requirement, and so. I think the number of people that I got hooked on this of a, as a result of you joining the podcast, I mean, I keep hearing about it. Look, and I love this. I turned it on. I don't understand. And they go. And so people people are signing up and getting, getting encouraged. So check it out. Be sure to do so, Matt. Appreciate the report each and every week. You have a great week. If we don't talk to you beforehand, happy Easter. Good, Happy good Friday. Yeah. You had a short day Friday and markets close early. You're going you to take you some time Happy off. Easter, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, market closer on, uh, well, I don't see it on Monday, but we do have an early close on Friday. Yeah, good. I mean, I, say, I meant Friday if I said Monday, my bad. But anyway, Matt, yeah. appreciate you, friend. Yeah. You do a great job. Yeah, have, have a good rest friend. of your week. You betcha, friend. Too appreciate it. Alice Alvey called at the last minute saying, I can't join. I had one of my trainers cancel out and I've got to do some training. So, but she said, she also wrote, she says, honestly, there isn't a lot to report right now. But we just always love to have Alice in her comments. So I'll just say this. Go check out Alice's segment on the webpage. It is one that really gets downloaded a lot. So check out Alice's reports. And we'll get moving right on to Alan Pollock. He is here. Alan, how are you, friend? I am doing great. David Licken, how are you? I'm good. Alan Pollock with the tech update. Sometimes I get so excited about getting everyone on, I don't finish my thought all the way through. My wife was pointing that right. out this week, and she goes, you interrupt yourself a lot, and you don't – it's sometimes a challenge to follow you, Dave, because you are you, – you move quickly through your thoughts, and, you know, people can't read what you intend to say. <laughs> Good point. So I've got something for you this time. I got this new um, uh, technology. I'm, it's a wearables. We're talking about wearables and what it can do for your health. Okay. It's old – U-R-A. It's Aura, and it's an Aura ring, and this ring had measures your sleep, how you sleep, how often you go into REM sleep. I don't know how it does it. It looks like a wedding ring on my on my right hand, and growing um, on the ring finger, and it is quite interesting, the mounted data, but I'm getting, for a sanguine, outgoing personality kind of guy, which, you know, you wouldn't think, but yeah. I have this geeky side of me. I want data, data, data. So I wake up, I'm sleeping and I'm tossing and turning in the middle of the night going, oh shoot, it's going to have bad stats. So it was, last night was one of those nights where I woke up a couple of times, tossed and turned a little bit and going, crap, my scores are going to be terrible. This is actually better. So if we have technology that can measure how you're sleeping, uh, what else is out there? And that's why you're here. Tell us about what else is out there. Pretty cool stuff. Aura. Yeah, it it's uh, there, there's a whole thing of these wearables. It's kind of funny. There's a, an article in Wired magazine. As you said it, I just quickly Googled it, and it's a review of the Aura Ring. Now, it's a little dated. It goes back to September, but it said, because at first they were saying the ring, or some people said the ring can help detect COVID days before. Um, this article says, no, you can't diagnose yourself with COVID but by wearing a ring, but it can tell me when my period is coming. So, David, if you need to know when your period is coming, you can wear the ring. That's bad. Just anyway, it's 300 bucks. It's, it's not cheap, and it, it does all the great stuff. I can tell you that I've, I've heard some reviews of folks that had the Apple Watch, the new one that looks at oxygen levels, 
And yeah. when they did have COVID, uh, they did use that with their doctor to actually uh, keep track of how they were doing with their oxygen levels. I do. I monitor that all the time. I got the newest watch, and I'm loving it. And it does an EKG. I mean, go like, look at what you you could read an EKG. I just want to make sure because my dad had arrhythmia, and so uh, AP, yeah, and 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 knowing that that is out there in the in the family uh, gene pool, I realized I'm going. I want to double check that. So if I have any feeling like most of the time it's just because I had too much cow coffee. So. Anyway, what's going on in the world of yeah. mortgage technology, my friend? Uh, there is just so much. I don't even know where to start. Let's start non-mortgage. Um, yeah. You know, to back to not really cancel culture, but um, not freedom of the of the press culture, maybe. And uh, Facebook has frozen Venezuelan leaders' account over misinformation that Facebook says that they put out there. Um, we've got the Volkswagen uh, buzz going for, they're bringing back the love bus, but it's fully electric in 2023. And I don't know if you knew this, David, but the Amazon warehouse workers this week will decide to unionize. It's all kinds of oh. crazy stuff going on. And we, and we also know that the ship has finally been freed from the Suez Canal, a uh, 200,000 ton uh, ship, which is absolutely crazy. And I, Probably really interesting how they did it. I don't know. It is. I was watching. It'll be this fun to take a look at. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and you know the, the last piece of non-mortgage news I kind of just bring up because it's Elon Musk, Tesla, and Bitcoin, and you know, blockchain's a big deal, and Bitcoin's a big deal, or is becoming. So I, I, you know, you really can't buy a house in Bitcoin, but today or as of last week, you can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Um, mm. And it sent the price of cryptocurrency soaring. So uh, if you have a bunch of crypto sitting around or Bitcoin and you wanted a Tesla and you didn't want to affect your bank account or let anyone know about it, uh, you can head over to a Tesla dealer. So let's talk, <laughs> let's talk, David, or you wanted a ring to know, you know, how your yeah. house is doing. But let's, let's talk uh, mortgage. So this is really cool. Uh, Rocket Mortgage and Mint have now created together in partnership a digital mortgage solution. You now can get approved without leaving the Mint app. And it is, um, they call it magic in the Rocket Mortgage API. I love marketing spin, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, they've said it's the first of many and many more to come. And they had one last quote, which I thought was kind of funny. They say, from app to accurate rate confirmation and approval in just eight minutes. Um, so check it out. Uh, there's a lot of those kind of re special relationships where you've got these 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 folks like Mint that have these um, this this fo large following, right? They have distribution, they've got uh, borrowers, and so uh, you'll you'll probably see more of these types of things as people try and uh, capture that audience or their audience. So uh, very interesting. David, sixteen point three million dollars in a Series B. That probably makes you think of how you could spend it all at a Tesla dealership without Bitcoin. Well. TNC, our friends at the Mortgage Collaborative, love this. They've made their first ever tech investment, um, which is so cool. It's called the TNC Emerging Tech Fund, and they've invested in Maxwell Series B preferred shares of financing. Um, the 16.3 million Bs went through a number of different people. TNC participated. I don't know how much they participated, but they did. Um, the news was announced end of last week, and you can see some, some stuff about it this week. Uh, the great part about it, is that they now are providing their members um, with 
forward-looking mortgage companies to help accelerate the impact of the industry by investing in these different companies. So what a fantastic model. What a great thing for Maxwell um, and really a great thing for the industry. And so um, kudos to TMC. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more, you can uh, take a look at them. And, of course, we've got a lot of our listeners that are members of TMC, so I'm sure you already know about it. Hmm. Uh, when are we okay. going to get the Lincoln on Lending Tech Fund, David? Ah, now we got to get one of those going. Yep. <clears throat> I've got a tech fund. Maybe you can sell some of your Bitcoin and we can just go buy a couple tech companies. <laughs> I'd look at that and offer at a discount to our listeners. Gosh, that's right. crazy. Uh, so, what you know, could have big tech, right? Yep. What could have said it? You know, we're all the big tech and all these crazy things we have going on, right? All these tech solutions. How about a non tech solution for the folks that haven't finished their tech solution? So, if your volume is off the rails, and by the way, this is an unsolicited advertisement. I just, I just love this so much. Unsolicited, um, if your tech implementations are gone sideways, you haven't started, they're not done yet, or you're just not ready, or you have more volume than you can handle, Computer Show Loan Services has processors, underwriters, and closers that can immediately jump in and pick up the volume. That's really important, especially if your technology projects are not ready for Day one, go to market. Um, it's a way for you not to feel the pain or the burn so much and the ability to get things just right or to continue to test or find a good partner. Um, and I think in the world of everything, everyone's forcing so much tech on everybody. Uh, there's non-tech solutions out there that, that will also help. So take a look at that. Uh, David, you know the airport when you go to clear and you know slowly yep. start to show up in more and more airports i use it well oh, there's yeah. a tech services provider yeah I, I don't think it's the same technology but they call it clear it's called canopy and they just did a partnership with moby moby apparently provides this underlying technology known as clear and it's meant more for in the fraud space it's a user identification technology and what it does is it's meant for mortgage and real estate and that authenticates users through visual biometrics so imagine starting part of the transaction or some part of the real estate transaction and that continuing forward and being your identification all the way through the process. And it looks like that's what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's tied to any other services or anything else you do. Maybe facial recognition on your phone. I'm not sure. Um, there's definitely more to find out there. But, you know, we, as we look at kind of trending tech and new things, uh, clear may be another way that we continue to validate that we are who we say we are especially for remote online closings and different things like that. Uh, it, it's uh, definitely something to take, a, to take a look at. All right, let's head over to fraud. Just because of that, I thought I'd just pick the Internet's brain and see what was out there for fraud. And what I found was that First American, get this, they have been able to reduce the average review rate for fraud, okay, meaning fabricated income, fictitious employment, EPDs, early payment defaults, undisclosed debt, all the different areas in which fraud occurs from 60 to 70% wow. to as little as 10% using what they call a targeted risk score. And they have basically a predictive model and a pattern recognition, recognition system where they create a score and they identify with you based on those patterns, the level of fraud. Now, you know, we always talk about it. everybody uses in the, in the news and their press releases, they, they say things like uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all those different things. Well, predictive modeling and AI is clearly what has done it here. And so I think that's really interesting. And we're going to see more things like that, being able to score attributes and values of loan data, prov provide 
you know, patterns and algorithms and going back and looking at vintage, all different ways to create what that predictive model is. Our industries use it forever, right? But now bringing it to the forefront and making it more available to everybody. So First American is doing that to identify all those different areas of fraud, especially fabricated income. I think that's huge, fictitious employment. Uh, so check it out, First American. Uh, and then, you know, David, we talked a little bit last week um, regarding what I was talking about with um, product principles, if you remember. Yeah. And we also brought up, you know, gamification um, and the ability to even gamify, even if you have a bad system, right? You don't, you're not happy with it or you, you don't know if it's working great, right? To gamify how people use it, even if it's as simple as embedding videos and walk me tutorials. Uh, so, so, so important. And, you know, I only bring that up again this week because there's so many different ways to do it. And I thought it would be one person reached out to me and actually asked, you know, what was the technology you mentioned? It's a company out there. There's a couple of them. It's called WalkMe, W-A-L-K-M-E. And it, it gets installed with a couple snippets of code on your website or your application, just like Google Analytics. And what it does is it just slides right over, and it knows what page you're on. You can have curated content directly for that page. You can embed videos. Uh, your hmm. knowledge base is searchable. The best part about it is it creates that instant gratification to the consumer or to your internal user. Imagine, you know, a room full of auditors, underwriters, and loan openers and processors having instant information at their hands. What if you put compliance info in there, right? Gamify the experience. doesn't mean a physical game. It means to create that, that right. curated experience, right? That, that, um, so anyways, check it out. Lots of fun walkme.com. Super easy to implement. There's a lot of other technologies like that. Product principles. We can talk more about another area of product principles next week, but uh, for the gentleman that reached out to me about walkme and the idea he wanted to do with it, I thought I'd just mention it again this week. Yeah, it's so true. Several people reached out to me as well. This, the whole gamification of everything is, is that to, to really engage the millennials? Is that what it is? I mean, there was a certain level of frustration in his voice as he talked about it, but I go, no, I mean, I think, this is just general common sense. I think you need to be checking it out. So that's a, also, did you mention another yeah. one last week, or was it just Walk Me? Um, no, it's just Walk Me. There, I mean, look, we have friends, uh, friends of the, our radio program at the Knowledge Coop, and they've got different types of technology as well. Um, it, it's more about the the world of instant gratification and quick access, right? Nobody, no one reads the instruction manuals anymore. We need to curate and provide content to them on demand, where they expect to already have it. Good stuff. Fascinating. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate touching on that again because it did bring about uh, some feedback in. So, And then also, if you're wanting to get ideas and talk to Alan, how did he reach out to you? Was it by email or was it phone? To email. Help people? Yep. That's right. LinkedIn, email. I, I get them coming from all different places. It's A-L-L-E-N at TMS-advisors.com. Appreciate you being on the team. So glad to have you be a part of the podcast each and every week, Alan. And uh, thanks for the update. Have a great week, Alan. And uh, if you can participate in the Hot Topics segment, great. So, folks, that wraps up Mortgage Weekly Update. We're going to move now. For those of you listening live, we're going to move right on in to the Hot Topics segment. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, just move on to the next podcast. So let's get started. Welcome to the Hot Topics segment of the Looking on Lending Podcast. Again, it's March 29th. So excited to have you here. And we're excited to have joining us Tony Kaiko of Affinity 5 Search Group, and we're going to continue our discussion on recruiting. We've had some wonderful guests on. Last week, I loved what some of the technology Eric talked about 
from his company and what he does. Go back and check out the the, the, the whole topic there. Uh, Model Match is what we're talking about, and Model Match does a great job of helping use technology to match up, track you know, candidates. Both you can use it on a downloaded base, or you can use it on a uh, on a full service basis. Tony Keiko has become my new best friend. <laughs> he is knocking the cover off the ball for our clients. So we get calls and say, hey, could you find someone for this person or that company? We're looking for this. And we just put him in touch with Tony and I go, I get a phone call, usually within a few days. Who is this guy? He has done such a great job of finding us the perfect candidate. And so, uh, Tony, good to have you here, friend. Appreciate you. Hey, Dave. Thanks. Glad to be here, my friend. Thank you very much. Well, I'm so grateful to our friends. Uh, well, it's actually Dominic over at SL3 that introduced us originally. You uh, are friends with him, yep. and then that's been a fast. So we got to give Dominic a shout out, and of course, yeah, the Dominic Manolo, good yeah. friend of mine for years. He introduced me to you guys, and I enjoyed getting on a call with you and uh, Ed, uh, Ed, Abby Ferris, and Bill Wooten. Yep. We had a nice conversation, and a couple of weeks later, we were in business. And with almost immediately, I started referring business your way. And again, haven't had one. You're, you're, I mean, not even one say that they weren't satisfied with what the services you brought. And obviously, you're doing some things right. So let's start off by giving an executive recruiting overview. Why? <laughs> Why are you so crazy successful when so many struggle at this? Well, you know, it's interesting. We're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to lower the level of the um conversation from, from a hundred thousand feet with Matt and Alan down to about ten thousand feet. All right. Good. <laughs> I, don't have, yeah, good. I don't have a lot of fancy smart strategies like those guys. That was that was awesome. By the way, Alan lives I noticed in Fonavidra Beach near me near me, yeah. so I'm gonna to have to connect right. with him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's so, right here. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh Alan's still there. Hey Alan. Hey, where are you located? I'm over here in, uh, over by the country club, on the Vitor, uh, over by the Inn and Club, uh, off, uh, Solano. Yeah, you're, you're less than a mile away. Sounds good. Sounds awesome. good. That's awesome. funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, Dave, um, you know, recruiting is, just, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting endeavor. Um, I absolutely love what I do, getting to help people find better jobs. You know, I often tell people that I work with, I, I do good jobs for good people. And, uh, you know, executive recruiting, and recruiting in general is uh, not for the faint of heart. You talked about Model Match and some of the other tech companies that you had on, and there's a lot yeah. of great strategies mm-hmm. out there right now for recruiting. I'm a little bit more of a crystal ball guy, um, more of an old-school relationship yeah. recruiter. So I think in the market today, um, there's a lot of different strategies for recruiting, and some companies that are more detailed in structure and nature, like to do the matching and the more the data-driven approach. Right. My approach is just more relationship-driven. It's like the old Jeffrey Gittimer who wrote the sales Bible says that you don't need more strategies and techniques. You actually just need more friends. Um, right. So for me, I, I, I go out to try and create more friendships and more relationships. That's been really successful for me. And it continues to be that way. Yeah, I, you, you raise a great point because this is a relationship-driven business, and it is about relationships. It's not to say that technology. We have two advertisers. I love what they do, and we've talked about them before, Modix and Mobility RE, both of which can bring you powerful data when you're recruiting loan officers. 
But at the end of the day, it's matching up. And I think that's what your gift is. You have a gift of listening to the need. Someone has an opening, open position. You listen to them. You ask them very specific questions. And then you go out into your database of people you know because of a vast amount of networking you do. I want to hear about the tools you use to do that. I was suspicious LinkedIn might be at the top of the list, but I want to hear about that. And, uh, and then you connect them. So talk about the part of the listening to what the position is. What are some tips and tricks, tools that you use to hear well about what they're really looking for? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, David. It is about listening. And uh, in my experience in recruitment, there are a lot of uh, folks who are in this um, in this position that uh, tend to do a lot of talking and not listening. And um, yeah. I try to really be a good listener to try and identify with the client what their culture is, what they're looking for. There's the who's and there's the what's. And there's the whys. And sometimes you have to ask pointed questions to get to it. You know, there's do's and don'ts. And there's a lot of companies that are, are, are more prepared than other, others, uh, with exactly what they're looking for from a culture perspective. Some of the companies that I deal with are new companies that are developing cultures. So I try and ask the right questions. I try and talk to more than one person in the organization to kind of get a feel for what their culture is. And then once I get all the information I ask and get all the questions answered, then um, you go out and you try and make a match. You know, it's funny. I often joke that it's, you know, it's match.com for business. Yeah. It really, it, it's a, it's a, it's an art to it. I call it a dance. Yeah, um, and you really have to identify with the with the customer what are their whys, what are their whats, what are they in business for, what's important to them. Yeah. Um, and on the other side of the coin, Dave, you have to identify the same thing for the candidates because the candidates mm. are all different also. So just really go, go, goes into the matchmaking portion of it, um, asking the right questions, identifying the culture. And then some mm. companies have a detailed job description. Some companies don't, depending on the job. Well, I want to talk because on March 1st, we interviewed my good friend Jim and Jeannie Blanchard, and they talked about reducing turnover as well as finding the right people through behavioral data approach to hiring. And so how much of it is personality? I've got a clearly got a sanguine personality. We use the Berkman assessment, which we talked a lot about on there, but it's getting the right people on the bus and James Collins getting the right people off the bus. We talked a lot about that on March 1st. And in you're matching up people how important is the personality matchup or is it is it a personality matchup or a compliment talk about how important you feel personality is in the fit i think it depends on the job and for for the most part i think personality and culture fit are are critical um quite oftentimes more important than money or income or salary um, and it depends on the job. I mean, some of the data-driven jobs in the processing world, in the underwriting world, in the outsourcing world, they those those assessments sometimes work in those types of type of realms. What I found though is in the larger jobs, the executive jobs, um, com- uh, executives that are coming into an organization, they're going to manage teams, 
come over the top of individuals when they when they get the job. The the personality fit is really critical. And then again, going back to what I said about asking the right questions, making sure you you know make them make the proper match based upon the answers to the questions that you get. I think it's critical. The relationships and uh, and personality is really important. When there's a real strong leader, a type of personality, dive a little deeper into this if you could. Say, Dave, when I see this, I kind of match it up like this way. Or when when do we need to inject someone? Because if everyone sees things the same way, well, someone isn't needed. I, I like what they were talking. I was talking to a marriage counselor. <laughs> I always have to have one in my life. I love, I got, to make my marriage of 36 years work well, we've always got a marriage counselor in there. They go, if there's two of you, that, and, you know, we were talking about how opposites attract and how that can be both really interesting and frustrating. The interesting part is where we need counseling. And they said, well, if, if you were married to someone just like you, one of you isn't necessary. Talk about the importance of contrast and how seeing things work are different, but then where where is the thing that keeps us together? Talk about that. How you match I think it's critical. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a spider web that's got to be put together, and you got to create the spider web. If you're in the leadership group, you got to create the spider web to connect the right people together to create the most cohesive team. Uh, fortunately for me, you know, I do executive recruiting in the mortgage business, which I spent 20 years in the mortgage business. So I have experienced leading teams. And one of the things that I did when I was a leader in the business is try to match up the management team that worked for me with different sets of skills. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have type A personalities, type B personalities, type C personalities. You have left brain. You have you know left brain logical thinkers. You have right brain people like myself that are very sort of kinesthetic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to identify you know what the need is. Many of these leaders, a lot of these recent relationships that I have are, are young, new leaders that they specifically are asking for a compliment to their skills. Um, so, again, going back to, back to asking the right questions, but it's really important to make those matches so, the, so when, you, when you're building out your leadership team, you have a complement of skills to be able yeah. to have sort of a well-rounded meeting because when you're on the executive board and you're sitting around, everybody has the same ideas you're really not going to get the needle moved at all. So I think that's yeah. very, very important. Well, I, I think one of the success stories you have, and I didn't ask for permission, but I know them well enough, I'm feeling very comfortable bringing it out. But it's at Gitterate, which is one of my clients, and you've in, they had two really talented executives who have been running the company, but it was like a two-legged stool. It, it wobbled in some areas, so they needed to bring in a third person, which was one of my recommendations. I recommended they talk to you, and they brought in a guy by the name of Kenny. And, uh, you've known Kenny. It was just, and, and they were going like, Oh, look at, how, how did he do this? How, it, it's, it's like, it's like the person we've always known would, we've always needed, but it just fit. And you, you found that right person and you slipped it right in. Alan, I'm coming to you next here to some questions and we get into this, but you know, talk about that one a little bit. Cause I, I think we can, you, you see these uniquenesses and, and you, you found the right person at the right time and, it is made for such a solid three-legged stool. Well, here's what's interesting on that situation. <clears throat> Typically, in many cases, when I'm doing an executive search, I'm I'm lining up candidates that I actually know from the mm-hmm. business. I've been around this for 25 years now. So I know a lot of people, and I'm a couple of degrees of separation in any job from other people that I know. In this situation, this gentleman I didn't know. 
you talked about, you know, where, where I spent a lot of my time, LinkedIn. I spent a lot of my time on LinkedIn. This gentleman, I just, knowing what the company's needs were, I connected with this gentleman on LinkedIn. Uh, we had a job description that we worked on together for this particular job. And um, this person, person just happened to be a fantastic match because not only were they blocking and tackling and able to do some of the functional uh, items necessary for the job, they were just a great culture fit and a compliment to the two executives that were on the team. Yeah. So um, it was, you know, it, I'm not going to say it was luck because, you know, there's a lot of work behind it. But in this situation, it, it was somebody that I sourced. Many times there are people that I know that I know are going to be good for the job. Um, but, again, it goes back to originally asking the right questions, making sure you know the culture. Um, in this case, Michael was very clear with what type of individual he was looking for. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, able to make that match. That's so good. Alan, jump in the conversation here. I know you always have a good hey, good, even better to know that you have, you're meeting a new neighbor here. So. Yeah. I know. It's great. I'm, I'm just across from you in Sawgrass. We're not, we're not too far apart. Well, Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good folks here, especially in, in mortgage and fintech in general, uh, in this area. Uh, we always talk about getting together. No one ever does, but we always talk about it. Uh, so anyways, in the, in the area, you know, that you're talking, I think one of the hardest thing is, you know, making the wrong hire. And I, I've done it plenty of times and other people have. And it, maybe it is, it's more about the personal relationship and, Having having someone um, with your skills that truly can sit down and meet with the person, understand what they've done and what they do, and that's the part that I think people overlook because the amount of time it takes to make the wrong hire is we don't have that time today. So I don't know. Maybe maybe you could just chat a little bit about that. I think that's an important piece. It's critical. It's it's critical. And and I you know I've, I I have had that happen to me before in the past. Placing making an executive hire and they they don't work out, which is why. Most recruiters offer a guarantee for a certain period of time. I tend to extend mine because it's a reputation business. Somebody doesn't work out, work out in six or eight months. I tend to replace the job for free. But, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it boils down to taking the time mm. to, to, to really vet out the candidate, to really identify with them. Um, I made a note here on the podcast when I was preparing about being a double agent. Like I joke a lot because, you know, uh, you know, if you're a recruiter, you're kind of a double agent. And I'm very upfront with my clients. I'm very upfront with my candidates about that. I need to know that the candidate understands that I'm representing them also, not just the client. Uh, it's, it's a, it's an, e- it's an equal 50 50 relationship. So when they know that from me, even if it's a new relationship, they pick up on it pretty quickly and they appreciate that. And so then, then you get to know them on a deeper level. And so you make less mistakes with the people that you bring on on the executive level. If you do take the time to get to know the person, sometimes that takes a little time. Uh, I happen to move, uh, Dave knows this, I happen to move pretty quick. <laughs> but I do take my time when I'm getting to know somebody, sharing things of a personal nature, whether it's golf or Things that they do on, 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 in personal, their family. I uh, always take time to get to know not only the candidates but the clients too, and that helps me make a better match and helps not to have to replace the person in the job and they end up staying and having great careers. 
One of the questions following up on that is that just came in from one of our listeners is how long do you think someone needs? I think this is a new hire. How long does it take for someone to figure out if it's going to work? You're talking to employers, hey, you know, and they call and go, you know what? I'm just not sure this is going to work. We're a little disappointed. And they're 90 days into the the hire. What What is what it? Depends you on the, yeah, it's a good, great question, Dave. It depends on the job, actually. I mean, I do uh, a lot of executive work, but I'll do, I also do some production jobs, regional manager, branch manager. I mean, sometimes if it's a production opportunity and you've – You've talked about the amount of production that the person is going to bring in, and in 90 days, they don't. The decision becomes pretty easy. We as recruiters have to replace the job anyway. It becomes very easy for the client to make that decision. When it's an executive hire, it's a little more difficult. You know, I think it's six months. I think six months is a really good time frame to identify whether there's going to be a fit or not. Uh, I don't think it's a year. I think it's six months. Yeah, that's um, good. You know, six months gives, gives enough time to... Think, you know, figure out that, uh, if the interview process and the, you know, love at first sight continues and if it starts fading quickly, one of the things that I do and many recruiters, I'm sure they do, is to keep in contact with the candidates after they're placed. Um, and I always communicate this to my clients that I'm, I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to be, I know the mortgage business, I stay abreast of what's going on. Although by listening to the podcast today, I need to stay more abreast. <laughs> <laughs> I need to jump on the podcast more. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I want to make sure that, um, you know, they know that I'm going to be there for them long term, and I make sure that the, the clients know that also. So I'm sort of another kind of consultant out there after I play somebody. Not only is it my reputation, I have genuine care and concern for the, uh, yeah. the client. I think that's one of the keys to your success is you really do care, Tony, and you care that it works. And if there's not, I mean, you roll up for some recruiters, hey, that's your problem. I landed and you figure it out. And that's not your approach, which I really, really value. You know, we talk about different market shifts. We talk about how that might change executive recruiting. Talk about executive recruiting through just that, market shifts. Yeah, you know what? It's really interesting. I My answer might not sound so sophisticated, so I apologize. But I don't... I shouldn't pay way more attention to what goes on, like on the on the podcast earlier today. I, I pay, you know, I pay good attention to it, but not as detailed as some people might. Because I, what I find, I wrote that I made a note here. Stay in my lane. What I find is that I found a lane. This is my lane. I stay in this lane, and whether the market's good or the market's bad, I think I'm I'm always going to stay busy. I stay busy all the time because in healthy markets like we had last year in the middle of COVID. Just ridiculous how the mortgage business was so crazy yeah. in the middle of a pandemic, right? But yep. it 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 um, companies have they're doing a lot of production. They have extra money to hire more people, so, yep. so recruiting is good. In the slim times, what's interesting is they, you know, the, the the clients sometimes now need better people. They need to shift from what they had in the in the healthy market. They need to shift to find better people. So there's always opportunities uh, in the market shifts. There's different types of jobs for executive right. recruiting. It's always healthy for production recruiting. Obviously, it's less healthy when the market's you know getting ready to shift like it is now. And you do mostly the executive recruiting, the C-suite, correct? Yeah, you know what, Dave? I was uh, I'm, a, I'm a sales guy, so I I still love to do the production recruiting, but 
I am very busy with the executive recruiting now. Yep. Um, I let everybody know that I still do it because, you know, once you're yeah, a sales guy, yeah. you're a sales guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah. t- I'll tell you a really fast story that you're going to like. So mm-hmm. my first job in my career was in the tire and auto business. And I was managing about 40 tire stores on the west coast of Florida. And what I found is that the staff that I had needed to get upgraded. So my first true professional experience at recruiting was that I would go into fine dining restaurants up and down the west coast of Florida. And I would pick out waiters that were really skilled at what they did. They were presentable. They were professional. They knew the menu. And I, and I started hiring people in the service industry to come into the tire and auto business. And that significantly blew up, and the company was Tire Kingdom, and it, and it went really big after that. We just had a lot of success recruiting. And that's when I knew I loved recruiting. Oh, yes. Back in the tire business, which if you think about it, it's not the most pleasurable buying experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. tires. I need those things that are overpriced, and I ought to have them, and yes. I want to laugh so I don't have to do this again. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, I thought thought you might like that story. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, one text message just came in uh, regarding the double agent. How do you handle the conflict when you're a double agent? Because, I mean, where, where let's say, let's say, uh, well, I mean, you can, you come up with a story. You've got so many more stories than I do. But, I I mean, several people are going, how can you be a double agent and do that successfully? Aren't you being paid by one, a fee? How do you do that? I mean, that's what, that's what I think is what makes me different. I, I just, I'm, I'm out front with it. It's not hard at all. Like, if you think about what, if you think about what a recruiter's doing, you know, you have to connect with both. You have to get the candidate the best job you can get them. You have to negotiate the best deal you can get for the candidate. And the client, you want to get them the best, the best candidate. You want to, you know, obviously you start with the client, right? Those are the more long-lasting relationships. But the way you get the best talent is by getting to know the candidate. So they know you're on your, their side too. And, and in my interviews with every single one of my clients, uh, you can ask them. I, I tell them this. I said, listen, this is what, I, this is how I feel the best way to do my job is. I'm a, I'm a double agent. I'm going to be trying to get the candidate the best job that I can while I'm trying to get you the best candidate. So it's not, yeah. um, I don't find conflict at all. As a matter of fact, I haven't had one instance, Dave, where there was a conflict. That's good. Well, it's, yeah. it's one when you hear that, you can understand that. Talk about relationship building a little bit. You do this so well. You talked about LinkedIn, the power of that tool. You talked about, in the case of Gitterate, where you went and sourced someone. You found someone you did not know yet. So talk a little bit about the, the relationship building. What's interesting about relationship building is that, you know, when you're in sales and you're in the mortgage business, you know, everybody, there's a lot, this word gets thrown around quite often. But, in my view, in order to build those relationships, there are certain things that you need to do. Like, number one, you need to be a very clear and consistent communicator. That's critical. Number two, you need to be timely. You need to be timely and accurate. I mean, one of the things I pride myself for the most in, and you know this, Dave, I, I move at lightning speed. You too. Um, I, I try to manage my day very effectively. I try to never leave anything left over to the, to the next day. Yeah. Um, I go in and out of conversations quickly. Like, you know, I'm going to ask my questions. 
we can have a 30-minute conversation. We don't have to have an hour conversation. So what I found is that clients really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be timely and, and accurate and still move fast. And, of course, you know, you got to be professional. Your follow-up has to be impeccable. You know, you have to you have to follow up consistently. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit of a bulldog and maybe too aggressive, but I apologize if I if I seem to be. But I let everybody know that you know, I'm trying to get accomplished what they want accomplished. Right. And then you got to be available. Like you got to be available all the time. Like you you know if, if it's nighttime, you know you're dealing with West Coast. I live here on the East Coast. You're dealing with somebody in California. I'll work at night. Somebody needs to talk on a Sunday or a Saturday. Listen, when the, you know this, when the work's there, you have to be there. Yeah. So all of those things that you do, you do them the best that you can, and then what follows is a relationship. And people know that they can count on you. They know that they can trust you. And most importantly, they know you mean it. I mean, because what's the word that you, everybody likes to use? It's value. Like, what's the value of me dealing with this guy? Whether he's my, whether I'm a candidate or whether I'm a client, you know, what value is he going to bring me? That's great. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. so one last question for you came in from one of the listeners. What are the five most important things? That'd be five, whatever number. What are the five biggest mistakes you see people making? And what are, if you can counter that with what are the most important things that, uh, uh, you say make for successful recruiting? You've talked to touched a lot on it. What are the biggest mistakes people make? Yeah, you know, a lot of, one of the mistakes they make, first of all, is not having a job description or a clear definition of what they're looking for. Again, that's what Michael. Um, which is, you know, sometimes it happens often. Um, I, I, you know, honestly love jumping in and helping. You know, I've created so many job descriptions with my library of things that I have that I help clients out a lot with that. But really, being prepared to actually find what you're looking for—that's that's a that's a huge don't. Um, the other one is to buy in from the entire executive team. Sometimes I find that whoever's making the decision doesn't necessarily get the buy-in from the people that end up being part of the interview process. And so the communication is not they're, not, they're not reading from the same song sheet. Yep. And that makes it very difficult to hire the right person. That's a, that's a huge mistake. Confidentiality, Dave. I mean, a lot, a lot of mistakes with confidentiality. I mean, People, many people that are in this business, they obviously they have, they're looking for you know a job. They may not be looking for a job, but they have a job. So it's really critical that everybody on all sides are confidential. You know, I have a confidentiality clause in my contract, and I make sure the candidate knows. Listen, this is what I do for a living. All my right. clients sign a confidentiality clause. Very, very important. But sometimes throughout the nature of the interview process. You know, mm-hmm. word gets out. You know, they could play play a game of telephone, and then it's, it's yeah. happened to me at times where word gets out, and somebody knows that they're getting replaced. And that's obviously if you're on the other end of that situation, you don't want to be there. No, you don't. Um, and then again, we talked about culture before. You know, culture, the definition of culture, defining what your culture is. Like again, this is another like hot topic. Like some people talk about, it. they talk about culture, but they haven't defined their culture. Not everybody in the organization is bought into their culture. So when you bring a candidate in to interview for that culture, and not everybody's on the same page with the culture, typically you're not gonna you're not gonna land the right person. So oh, those think. are kind of the don'ts and the and the do's are the opposite of those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean really the things you should do. I yeah. hope that I hope that was helpful. That's really good. 
Okay, we got to wrap it up. Several people are saying, get his contact information. How do we get a hold of you? How do people that are interested working with you, how do they connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best. It's my LinkedIn profile. Um, website, affinity5.com. Affinity5.com is the website. Um, and then tony.keiko at affinity5.com is my email. But LinkedIn is probably the best. And the spelling of Keiko, again, folks, is... Uh, C-A-I-C-O. Yep. I was just going to do that to it faster. Good. Tony, thank you so much for coming on. I just love working with you, uh, both per- personally and professionally. You're just a delight. You're so successful, and uh, my clients love you, and uh, you, you just keep hitting the ball out of the park. Keep it up, man. I don't know how you can keep the batting average you have, but uh, it, you, you're doing it, so it's an awesome job. I can't think of a better person to wrap up this series of podcasts on recruiting than my good friend, Tony Tycho. So, Tony, thank I you. Pre- I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. You bet. Next week, we're going to start a series on leadership, and we're going to start off with my business partner, Mark Helm, a very well-known individual in the mortgage industry. Mark, uh, I could go on and on about his profile, but very successful. He's a great guy. I have some real wisdom to share with you on leadership, what he's done, and servicing, and we're going to be uh, tying those two together. So be sure to come here next week. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, as well as CMLA, Indicom, Accelerate Mobility, Mortgage Markets Intelligence, as well as Modex, as well as the MBA, Knowledge Scoop, Lenders One, and Mortgage Collaborative. Folks, so good to have you being here with us. Tell others about the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of information we cover here, and you won't go wrong, and you can just share it and listen to it uh, in a passive way when you're coming and going. You'll be amazed how it'll help your career. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great week, everybody. and look forward to talking with you soon. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.